Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, it's Rob from the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today I'm in the northeast at the Bowlby Mine site, where I have another great guest I'm going to chat with, who has a long history in the mining sector, working in the coal mines of South Africa and at the start of his career before returning to the UK with UK Coal. Now, he is the Vice President and GM of ICL Group, who owns the Cleveland Potash Mine up here in the Red Car Cleveland area, which is south of Newcastle for our, our international listeners. So I'm delighted to introduce you to Andrew Fulton. Hi, Andrew. Good afternoon, Rob. Thank you for allowing me to visit the site to do this podcast and see this great setup you have here. For our listeners, I'll give you a brief background to the company. This site has been open for about 40 years and was formerly owned by ICI, who many in the UK would know of, and has passed hands over uh, a few times uh, during that period. And today, um, it's one of the UK's deepest mines. ICL UK has become the first mine in the world to mine polyhalite, which is a fertiliser carrying the benefits of sulphur, potassium, magnesium and calcium, which is mainly used in the fertiliser market. And the company has big plans for the future. So let's get straight into this. So Andrew, starting off your career back in the 90s, why did you study mine and mineral engineering at uni? That's a really good question. Why did you get into mineral and mining engineering? Well, when I was at school and making choices about my career, it was when I was taking A-levels, taking a pretty standard set of uh, A-levels that would get you into an engineering course and become a civil or mechanical engineer. And in some respects, I was following after my father, who himself was an electrical engineer. But at that point, it was one of my uh, tutors that pointed out an open day at the Royal School of Mines. Uh, And this was uh, an entry, an introduction, let's call it, to mining engineering. There were big trucks, there were explosives, there was mega excavations. And as a 17-year-old, a little bit uncertain about what he might do in the future, this seemed really exciting. So I thought a little bit about it, did a bit more research. And then in the UK, um, the then coal board, the um, um, uh, now privatised, but then in that day it was uh, British Coal, were offering what was known as a focus course in mining. And it was a one-week um, experiential um, um, uh, time uh, run by Nottingham University uh, and you could go underground and visit the mines you could learn about environmental impacts you could learn about safety the economics of mining just as a taster uh, and when I went on that and I was able to go underground in a long wall mine here in the UK uh, and as a, as a teenager able to talk about ventilation and strata and stresses and see um, large um, pieces of kit 700, 800 metres below the ground, I was bitter. It, it, was, it, it, was, it was for me. That was, that was where I, I, I wanted to spend my time. Yeah. And so where, where did you study? It was back at Nottingham, actually. Um, I, I took on Nottingham because it, then it's connection with, with coal mining and uh, being sponsored by uh, British Coal. 
there was a there was a request that you 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 take up at uh, your studies at Nottingham, but at the same time, Nottingham was a great place to be a student. Yeah. <laughs> any uh, any? Do you want to go a bit further with that as to why? Um, there were th- only three universities um, offering studies in the in mining at that point, yeah. point in time. Um, in addition to Camborne School of Mines, was uh, Leeds, Nottingham, and the Royal School of Mines. And um, from my, my view of the various different university campuses and cities, Nottingham was the most attractive one. I had a place with all of them. Yep. I was lucky enough to have that offer. Uh, but Nottingham offered, you know, good, good work, you know, social balance. Um, and it's quite a diverse university. So I was able to interact with chemical engineers to guys on psychology courses to, to legal courses. So, so I had a good rounding during my period there. Yeah. Um, so after you studied uh, university, um, after you studied and graduated, how did you start off in the UK mining industry before you then went to South Africa? Well, it was, it was during my um, training uh, with British Coal. You we were expected to do a year's training before you go to university so you can become familiar with the working environment. It's when I did my long wall face training, um, really exciting period that I spent at Silver Hill Colliery. Uh, and then during university, there was vacation work that I would, um, would pursue whether it be working with the survey teams or with the marketing teams or, uh, or at the pick point. Um, but during that period of time, uh, there's a lot of turmoil in the industry and British coal was, was privatized. I think we're all very familiar. Um, certainly the UK listeners will be familiar with the, with the change in, um, in strategy when it came to uh, public ownership of these, these, these groups. And it transferred hands to uh, RJB. Uh, RJB uh, at that point in time, had a large human resource and didn't need to continue with graduate development programs. Um, so um, uh, I was unable to take up a, a, an extension on that sort of path with them. Um, but it was during the, the last year at university that a number of adverts came out. The industry as a whole was, was pretty challenged during the, the early 90s. Um, and it was Anglo-American that um, put a, literally an advert up on the notice board at the university uh, for graduates. And, uh, and I applied. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I'm, obviously, as a recruiter, um, I'm dealing with, I have been dealing with quite a few graduates. And obviously, there is limited opportunities here in the UK. So I was, I, my next question was, how did you get a position over in South Africa? But obviously, there was a notice and you applied for that role. Was, it, it, was it's an interesting of- story. Um, and, and I'm chuckling as you're, as, as you're saying that question. I, I mean, it was, a, it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, but to be offered... The chance to go to South Africa and as a, as a young graduate, you think you can go and work in somewhere so exciting as that. Um, but I was interviewed at this very mine where we're carrying this okay. this this, uh, uh, this conversation at, at Bowlby uh, by the then general manager, Bob Laybourne. Um, he sat across the table from me and said, so I understand you're a graduate and you want a job in South Africa. Um, and I kind of had to tell him why I was better than the next guy that might walk into his office. Um, and it was on the back of that interview that I was then offered a, a graduate training program with Anglo-American, uh, Anglo-Coal in South Africa. Yeah. Because um, part of the history of this company was after uh, ICI, Anglo-American owned it up until 2002 when it was then bought by ICL. Um, and of course, the amusing part is I now find myself back in that same office where I was in, interviewed 25 years it's later. Funny that. <laughs> yeah. So... How, I mean, how, how many opportunities were there for graduates at that time? And again, I suppose the graduate listeners who are probably finding it hard to try and find employment opportunities at the moment because of the UK mining market, um, there isn't that many opportunities. 
how many opportunities were there back then? Was it in abundance or did you have to go out and try and search for those opportunities? Even then you had to search. In the 90s, there was, a, was, a, was an international downturn in, 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 in the industry. So there was, a, was a, a, certainly a reduction in, in, in offerings. Um, but there were a lot of good stories from, from, from my year and the year before me. Um, guys have put you know the the the, the backpack on uh, and have taken their way to into the you know the central areas of Johannesburg and knocked on the mining houses of of uh, of the southern hemisphere and found themselves a job uh, to other ones that have uh, taken up an MSc or further education say in the US and on the back of that taken up work with uh, with mining companies in the US um, in the UK um, I mean the, the the size of the industry has shrunk up year on year. Which is obviously a, a, a concern for graduates. Uh, there are a number of consultancy roles uh, that are that are available now, and we're available at that point in time. But really, that comes down to the the, the individual's choice, what they would like like to do, and what sort of route they would like to pursue. Um, one of the things that I think has also changed is that many of the multinationals are are looking to recruit locally to their sites. Um, historically, and particularly in South Africa. Um, these companies sourced graduates from um, the UK, um, from Europe, uh, to come and supervise and, and operate and, and manage their sites, but using only local local uh, talent for the sort of manual uh, manual operations and, and, and trade services. But now uh, that the industry has recognised its role in local communities and role in, in 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 the countries where the resources exist, they understand that they have to develop that internal talent. Um, so positively. Um, companies like Anglo Americans uh, annual intake will be from local uh, graduates, and of course Anglo American and BHP and others don't have any sites here in the UK. Um, so it's only on a on a on a on a on a on a small basis that they will be drawing from from our graduate pool. Yeah, but I do hear some good stories, and I I, I know of some people who've, who've taken up jobs um, in, into Central Africa, into Australia, um, very often on on a technical route in. Um, but but those opportunities do exist. Um, I know it's hard, um, but uh, I think if they keep looking and um, you've got uh, enough to um, to prove you can and you can do and you shine, well, uh, those those opportunities make themselves available to you. Yep, certainly. I mean, any graduates that I speak to um, and who are looking obviously for site based opportunities, I, I give them the advice that they have to keep knocking on doors, whereas. Many years ago, a lot, of, a lot, of, and what I found, a lot of um, senior UK mining graduates would have gone to South Africa. I don't think that's the that's the case now, like as you pointed out. But there is opportunities within Africa as a whole. Um, what I see is a lot of co- a lot of companies bringing on graduates from the UK. So there's obviously opportunities there, and also UK graduates going out to Australia, maybe having a year's working visa. And trying to test the market over there, I did write a article, a blog, a few weeks back that the Australian market there is less and less people studying mine engineering degrees over there, so they've got a shortfall as well. So there is opportunities for UK people, UK graduates to go to Australia to at least sample um, or have a a year or two out there on site, which could lead to obviously further opportunities. Yeah, so, yeah. What, just what, backs up your point. What we attempt to do here at uh, ICL Bowlby is uh, offer vacational work, um, two or three month stints, uh, where um, graduates or approaching graduates, second, third years, or guys who are moving into um, MS, 
uh, MSCs or MEng uh, activities have the opportunity to apply their skills. We get the benefit of, of, of the work that they undertake and the studies that they, they undertake, but also it gives them a, um, an exposure which they can use for promoting themselves into the industry. Yeah. We've turned over in the last couple of years um, almost close to 10, uh, 10, 10 VAC student roles, um, and all of them now have a job. Yeah. Um, and I do believe that it was on the back of uh, the opportunities, included with their own skills that they have had here, um, of course, I would have loved to have kept 10 guys on and, yep. uh, and, and, and have developed their careers here at ICL Bowlby, but we don't have that capacity. Uh, but what we do have, we have a, uh, an experiential site for them here in the UK. Um, so we recognize our responsibility to offer those opportunities, even if this isn't the direct feed into our own graduate yep. development plans. Yep. So how was your time in South Africa with Anglo-American? And what would you say the main differences are working in South Africa compared to the UK? Well, the UK is a very stable, um, steady yeah. environment to operate in. I, I sound a little bit like the Prime Minister there, uh, steady and stable. Um, South Africa in the 1990s was far from that. It had emerged from um, uh, the apartheid period, um, sanctions uh, and constraint. Um, and I joined um, the country at a period when they were celebrating what was referred to as the Rainbow Nation. Yep. Um, it was being led by a new leader. Um, and there was new hope and new ambition. Uh, and it was a really, really exciting time to be uh, working in, 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 in the country, not only for, for the social and uh, cultural experiences, but also in the workplace. Uh, because now that these mines uh, and these sites were exposed to international practices, there were an awful lot of lessons that were being learned about how they could improve. There's one thing about South Africa, and like any miner around the world, is there was a can-do attitude. Uh, and if there's somebody else doing it better than you, you want to adopt that, you want to develop that. And we saw rapid change in the, mining's, the mining activities in, in South Africa, uh, driven for a number of reasons. One, just to improve productivity um, for, this, for, 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 for competitiveness. And the other one was for, for driving um, uh, improvements in health and safety, ensure that we look to uh, engineer controls uh, rather than just use people. Um, and, you know, I was there at a time when we were moving from drill and blast sections to fully uh, automated mechanized methods. Um, we saw significant reductions in, uh, in accident rates. Uh, productivity um, moved up rapidly um, to where you had um, continuous miner sections in the coal sector that I was operating in, mining at a, at a million ton run rate per annum, uh, where historically they would have been at the two, three hundred thousand. So massive changes in the industry, massive changes in the country. Um, and as a, as a young graduate uh, coming from the UK, uh, uh, massive Annoying, changes yeah. for me also. Yeah. So I'm um, leading on to my next question. Obviously, you're out there for, for quite a few years. How come you uh, come back to the UK? It was never our intent to come back to the UK. Um, I, I married Carol and, uh, um, and we had four children between us uh, in the UK. And, and, and we had always had our eye of, of, of going further afield. Uh, the, where the kids had grown up in South Africa. Um, so I looked for an opportunity that would take us somewhere um, and we, we, we looked at the opportunities of moving to join a junior, um, uh, a company where um, I would be able to apply the skills that I'd learned uh, within South Africa uh, and Anglo-American. And uh, uh, after a, a couple of iterations, it, it ended up with UK Coal. Uh, and by, by title, that's where they were based. Um, so I took on a role with UK Coal uh, it was uh, a period of transition for them, 
um, and uh, I contributed as best I could at that point for for that transitional period. Uh, particularly exciting, and it and it was um, very much a startup. It was very much a readdressing uh, something of the past, so it, it fitted the work profile and uh, gave the family the opportunity to um, to settle here in the UK. Yeah. Um, anything you would have done differently along your career? Um, it it seems you probably. You enjoyed yourself going out to South Africa, and obviously that was an opportunity um, at that particular time that you jumped at. But if you had the perfect, uh, perfect career, is there anything that you would have you would have changed? What would I have changed? Um, I think I would have invested earlier in gold in the nineteen nineties. Certainly. Um, uh, of course, with with hindsight, there's all sorts of personal changes one could make. Um, or even uh, investment uh, options, etc., uh, back a different horse. Uh, but no, uh, personally, my my experience has been been amazing. I I I I wouldn't choose any alternative route. Um, it's brought me to where I am today. Um, I I have plenty to share as a result of my experiences. I've plenty to apply, um, and I'm able to make a contribution not only to the companies that I work with and the people that I work with, but also the wider sector. Um, and I've and I've gained that through my participation in the changes in South Africa to see the the, the last changes here in the UK uh, with the coal industry and here at this site that I'm at now the transition from potash to polyhalite. Um, so that's been sort of a common factor in in, in my career. Um, it's been being in amongst the change. Um, so no, I actually wouldn't choose any alternative mm. route. Yeah. Well, I suppose to sort of graduates out there and obviously this podcast isn't just focusing on graduates but it seems to me that once you've graduated it's very important to get that site experience Um, and for instance obviously here in the UK there is limited opportunities to do that and hence probably that's the reason why I did ask that question and it seems that to further your career you would need to do you would need to go out on site and experience that for for a number of years so you understand the ongoings on a mine site as opposed to maybe working on a consultancy basis straight from uni where you wouldn't necessarily get that exposure. It's about a balance, um, um, Rob. You, you, you're absolutely right. It's ensuring that when you're doing the technical, carrying out the technical work, you understand the context under which this technical work may be being applied. Uh, and equally, um, when you're, um, you've got your head down and your, your ass up and you're at the pick point, um, it's important that you understand the context of the work that you're undertaking, and it does take take a, a person with a with a with a with a, some element of technical background to be able to achieve that. So it'll always be a balance. Um, I can't recommend to individual graduates which is the best path for them. Um, that's going to be something that they will determine. Yeah. Um, I myself um, am, am regularly reminded about the importance of of understanding the context of the application of ideas. Uh, that something that might seem good on paper won't work in practice. Um, so when I engage groups about new ideas, I make sure that it's a cross-section of people. Um, so a graduate making his choice uh, today, uh, it, it's okay um, to be technical. It's okay to be operational. It's okay to have a balance of the two. You will have a part to play in the industry uh, and there will be a sector of the industry that will need your skills. If you don't like going underground, uh, you can find uh, activities in the design stages of, of open casts. You don't have to um, 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 get up at six o'clock in the morning and, and do shift work and so forth if that's not what you fancy um, it, it is your choice 
Um, I think a mining engineering uh, degree is a, is a broad-based degree. It gives you a wide exposure um, to um, engineering um, and, it, and the industry and the sector. I like to see that applied in, in a variety of different ways, both at the pick point uh, and in the drawing room. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's important to have that exposure. It's not 100% essential, um, but you have got to know uh, what you know and, and also appreciate what you don't know. Yeah, certainly. Um, now, also just to uh, move on to the ICL group, which owns obviously this site where we are here and own many sites across Europe and across the world. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about the ICL group um, and the reason why you joined them? I joined ICL as a part of my um, um, joining Cleveland Potash here in the Northeast um, at a point then um, I wasn't too familiar about who ICL was my um, desire was to to work here in in, in the Northeast uh, with the team transforming this particular site uh, but ITRAIL itself is an interesting company it's got 90 years of history um, and was established in the Dead Sea uh, in, in Israel and it's grown to become a, a, a global uh, manufacturing uh, company, manufacturing a range of products, not only to agriculture and the fertilizers, um, but also into um, um, other industries um, with the bromine, um, whether that be in food or into uh, fire retardants. Um, it's, it's places in, um, in, 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 in all sorts of products that we use on a day-to-day -day basis uh, in our own homes um, to um, plastics and cars um, and even the Coca-Cola that we drink. Right, okay. Um, they have 49 manufacturing plants in 15 countries. Um, sales in 2017 were 5.4 billion. Uh, there's 11,000 employees across the world, um, of which um, just under half of those are in, in Israel, uh, based around the Dead Sea um, and that uh, uh, key, key site. Um, but as you, are, as you stated, um, the, the link into, into Europe is uh, through the phosphates and potash, um, and manufacturing sites in, in Amfurt uh, and in Germany. Cleveland Potash Limited, which everybody knows the name uh, uh, well and familiar with the, with the name, um, is, is the UK site. It's one of the two deep mines um, within the ICL uh, uh, portfolio. We have it ourselves here and our sister mine, uh, Eber Potash, in Spain. Uh, we're also known as the Bolby, also known as the Potash. Um, and more recently, we've uh, branding ourselves as ICL Bowlby. And ICL Bowlby is known as um, the first and only commercial polyhalite operation in the world. Uh, obviously, we've come from a strong foundation of mining. As you mentioned earlier, Rob, 40 years, uh, the mine's um, been in existence. And for 40 years of that, it's been mining potash. Uh, we've moved out of the Silvernite seams. We're now concentrating operations in the polyhalite seams. Uh, and um, have uh, modified the organization accordingly. And we really think that we've got a, a great opportunity to build not only the expertise here on site, uh, but also to build on the back of uh, the ICL company that I introduced earlier uh, and um, the strengths that they bring to increasing the value uh, of products downstream in the manufacturing and in the marketing processes of which ICL is so very good at. Yeah. Um, so how's the operation developed since you joined? Um, I think you joined six, five or six years ago. So how's it, how's it developed since then? I joined the site in, in late 2015 um, and uh, 
already then the company had recognized that there was a transition on the horizon and that transition was going to be out of potash uh, and into polyhalide. Um, the potash activities um, were needing to, to, to be run down based on the reserve portfolio. And at the same time, um, the experience was growing in the polyhalide. Uh, and we ran a few uh, additional studies to recognize and then certainly recognize that there was a huge amount of opportunity um, in the polyhalide beyond what had been previously recognized as just being a supplementary activity to potash mining. And it was in about 2016 when the decision was made that there would be a transition period to become a solely polyhalide operation. Um, and working with the ICL group, the marketing chains, uh, as well as in the technical design of the site here, um, it got us to where we are today, um, where we made that final transition um, mid this year. Um, we ceased potash mining uh, after 40 years, um, um, 40 good years, uh, and moved to focus our entire operation onto polyhalite. Um, and polyhalite, as you described, is a, is a, is a multi-nutrient product um, but it brings a number of very interesting technical challenges for mining and processing. Um, but there's an awful lot of good downstream opportunities uh, to develop products that meet market needs and meet farmers' needs. And by fulfilling those, we're growing the market at the rate at which we'd like to see um, to match our production improvements. Um, so I, I've arrived in transition. I've been party to transition and development. And looking forward, it's going to be an awful lot more development, innovation, um, um, so changes and all. Yeah. Yeah. So what, why did the company decide to go down that route and just focus on uh, polyhalite? Was it just because of market conditions? It's, it's, it, it, it's not so much the market. It's, it's, it's the reserve portfolio. There is uh, an inadequate resource of sylvanite, uh, which is a source of, of, of potash. Um, and we're uniquely positioned uh, in the polyhalite seam, um, we've we've got the mining techniques, um, we've got the infrastructure, we've got the market, uh, we've got the supply chain, um, and so it was the right choice to make to pursue polyhalite. Uh, and then, I mean, an option could have been three, four years ago to have made the decision to close the site on the end of of potash, um, but ICL have seen the benefits of this particular product and how they can merge that with uh, existing technologies. Uh, and in existing value streams uh, and existing offerings to uh, to the market, uh, which um, they could invest in and support the ICL Bowlby site to make that transition from potash to polyhalite. Okay. So where are you now and what is the future for you and the company moving forward? Well, for the company, it's a developing opportunity. Uh, the now is, is growing our current portfolio to a million tonnes. Um, to reinforce our knowledge on the mining methodologies uh, and the infrastructure that we, we have here on site. Um, we're going to continue investing in our people and our skills and our competence um, and ultimately ramp up our production from from a sort of a, a mid-million, so the 450, 500,000 that we, we had as a run rate in 2017 uh, through to a million tonnes by 2020. And that'll be concentrating on uh, production rates, um, adequate time to operate, um, processing methods, um, and improving our, um, uh, our value chain, particularly on some of the uh, bespoke products that meet certain customers' needs. The key word at this moment in time is about efficiency. 
Yeah. Uh, beyond that, the future, we're looking to build our capacity to 3 million tons, um, and that will go um, through, a, through some modifications to the technical design, uh, access to new resources, and also to continue to develop our market presence uh, through the modification of our poly products, um, whether that be through granulation, um, through compacting, uh, or other techniques that will um, make products that are suitable for particular needs by particular markets. Uh, for me, um, this is a developing opportunity, uh, and it's something that I want to stick with. Um, there's a team here uh, that are rallied behind the, the intent and behind the strategy. Uh, it's a really exciting time, um, great team to work with. I learn every day, um, and I hope that um, I contribute um, every day and, and, and help to take um, ICL Bowlby from a period where it was three years ago in a place of, of uncertainty and, uh, and possible closure to one where we will be renowned, renowned as uh, the polyhalite uh, poly producer in the UK, um, become the proven uh, experts in this field, both in mining, uh, processing and marketing of the products associated with polyhalite. Yeah, which is, uh, which is good to hear for the, for the UK industry. Um, any sort of challenges or lessons you've learned along the way um, that you could perhaps share with the, uh, with the audience? Engagement and the importance of engagement. Um, we had uh, a workforce here um, that were entering into a period of uncertainty uh, and they needed to know um, what, what was on the other side, um, what was over the, over the, on the horizon. Um, early engagement, early information, keep people informed, um, can't do enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose during, during that time, a lot of people, a lot of people's jobs could have been at jeopardy and you've obviously had to move forward as a company. Um, and obviously that decision to, to change to polyhalite and focus on that has now so obviously secured jobs and futures for a number of people, especially local people in the, who live in the area. Um, and obviously securing their jobs for, for a period of time. You're absolutely right. During the um, transition, we've had to restructure the business and that restructuring has meant downsizing. Um, so we've had to say goodbye to uh, a number of people, 50% um, of our workforce, uh, in fact. Um, but w along with that, we've, we've attempted to do it in a way where we can um, find work placements, etc., cetera, uh, and ensure that uh, those that are remaining have something um, that is sustainable um, something that is um, going to grow um, and, um, as you've described, uh, continue to contribute as it has always done to this particular region. Uh, we were and remain the largest employer in the East Cleveland area uh, and we are um, continuing to make direct investments in the area um, and we continually see the benefits of that. Um, I wouldn't like to see that degrade uh, and I'd like to continue growing that. Okay, just want to slowly uh, wrap up. Just want to uh, answer, uh, give you some quick fire questions that I'll ask every uh, interviewee. Why do you uh, enjoy mining? Diversity. Diversity of the challenges, diversity of the people. Um, uh, if you haven't worked in the mining industry, you wouldn't quite understand what people just say. It's an exciting place to be, but, but that's it. It's, it's an exciting place to be. Um, and as, as an individual, I always leave the site believing that I have learned something new. Um, I develop every day. Um, that's a character um, of the or characteristic of the industry, uh, but I think it's also a characteristic of the people that work within the industry. Yeah. 
who's been the most influential person on your uh, mining career? Or it may be one person, maybe a few people. Anyone you'd like to name? I guess there's, a, there's always going to be a few, aren't there? Um, but I think based on the first question that you asked about why did I get into mining, it's probably my physics teacher at school who advised me to go and have a look at the Royal School of Mines um, and this open day of mining because he opened my, my, my eyes to opportunities where I had never previously sought. Yeah. Um, is there anything you still want to achieve? Anything I still want to achieve? Um, I'd like to see ICL Bowlby reach a million, three million tons. Um, I was about to say a million tons there. Well, that's our first key milestone. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's our route to three million. But three million would really have meant that we've gone from one stage to another and we've developed and truly reached our, um, our potential. How many more years would that uh, take to achieve that? Well, we're looking to achieve a million tons in 2020 and then grow the market and our operation up to three million tons by 2030. Okay. Um, any advice you would give to sort of any mining professionals in in the industry um, in order to sort of develop and better themselves? Well, we're we're professionals. Um, we'll we'll be members of uh, professional institutes, um, and of course, we all know that every year we've got to submit our statements about what continual development that we've been up to within the sector. Um, and of course, I would just say that's what it's all about: continual personal development, uh, whether it be in what you read. Uh, what uh, you do, what you get involved with, um, um, and continually refine your skills. Um, mining um, is not just about the engineering aspect. Uh, mining is a sector. Mining influences. Um, so it means that you're speaking to um, stakeholders um, who may be one mile from your operation to stakeholders that are 100 miles from your operation. Um, and you've just got to keep meeting these people. You've got to continue developing your engagements with them, developing yourself. Um, that's what it's all about, continuous yeah. development. That's some good advice there. Well, thank you, Andrew, for taking the time to, you, to uh, discuss your journey and giving us an insight to Cleveland Potash and the great things you're doing up here. If our audience wants to contact you, um, how can they go about doing that? Well, I'm on most forms of social media. Um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Twitter, so look us up on that. Um, follow me um, or just uh, send me a, a message um, um, through those medium um, and um, um, let's connect, yeah. Yeah, no worries. Alternatively, if you, if you want to contact myself um, at rob at mining-international.org, I can uh, pass that information on to Andrew. Um, well, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.